What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and that makes this stuff you should know. Right? That's right. How you doing? I am well, sir. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's lovely here in Atlanta. It is. It's like 75 degrees. Beautiful. It's like San Diego moved here. Yeah. Hey, you hear that music, Josh? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Ben Soli, who uh-huh. we'll meet later, right? That's right. I could listen to that stuff all day, man, that, that cello music, mm-hmm. Appalachian. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into this one. All right. Let's do it. Uh, this is the shortest intro ever. Okay. Okay, but it's 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 telling. It's a good one. And you would think that I would have had it ready since it's the intro, you know? Yeah, that's all right. But I like to play things fast and loose, kind of by the seat of my pants. And I also <laughs> like to see how much time I can fill up while I look for things, right? Yeah. Like I've done You've got just it, then. But Chuck, I'm going to give you a shocking statistic. There are going to be a lot of those in this one. In the great state of West Virginia, mm-hmm. which is next to Virginia, just west of it, though. Okay. Um, since 1979, the number of employed miners in that state, and mining is the number one industry in West Virginia. Yes, coal mine country. The the number of miners um, in since 1979 in that state has declined from 60,000 to 22,000 according to the state's Senator Robert Byrd. But coal mining itself has dramatically increased over that time, so how do you explain that? Well, as a matter of fact, the whole podcast that we're about to do explains it very clearly. Yes. Uh, a, a type of mining process called mountaintop removal mining. Yeah. Uh, or strip mining. Well, it's a type of strip mining. Yeah, apparently yeah. one person called it strip mining on steroids. Yeah. Um, is... Very much responsible for the um, the ability for coal mining to just go through the roof in Appalachia, mm-hmm. while requiring fewer and fewer people. Right. So while coal has has increased, unemployment has increased as well. Yeah. And I guess let's just get right into it because this let's one is chock full of stats and stories, and this is an unusual podcast for us. And by the way, this one 
is officially yours. <laughs> Why are you giving this one to me? <laughs> you, this, you did the you did the legwork for this one. Yeah, and we should add at the end of this uh, podcast, we're going to have a uh, interview with uh, and our first musical guest ever with singer, songwriter, and cello player Ben Soli, mm-hmm. who is an activist for uh, against mountaintop removal coal mining, and uh, it's on you know the sub pop label with his music and. He's going to interview with us and play a song, and it's going to be pretty cool, so stick around. Yes. Don't go anywhere. Yes. In the middle of the podcast. All right, so let's get into it. So, um, Chuck, traditionally, when you think of mining, you think of basically a hole in the side of the mountain held up with timbers that um, men covered in coal dust are going into with pickaxes and headlamps. Right. An extremely dangerous um, job. Yeah. But a a job that's traditionally... um, been able to support families. Yes, long has its roots in Appalachia. Right. Um, this is a totally different kind of mining, mountaintop removal mining, is where in traditional mining you bore into the mountain. With mountaintop removal mining, you blow the top off of the mountain to expose the coal seam rather than digging in to get it. Yeah, coal seams run uh, horizontally through a mountain. Mm-hmm. So uh, what happens is, and this is the how it works portion. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing how they do this. Yeah. And even Ben has told me it's pretty amazing. Even though he thinks it's an awful practice, it's pretty amazing nonetheless. Sure. They uh, clear cut the forest. They scrape away the topsoil, lumber, uh, herbs, all that stuff. Herbs? Herbs, yeah. <laughs> wildlife uh, and habitat. Uh, the wildlife habitat is destroyed. Vegetation is destroyed. And well, then- well. In, in their defense, they usually, customarily, they send a guy in with a machine gun who just fires into the air That's for like really? a full day, and then he comes <laughs> down the mountain. Then they start clear-cutting. So they do all this. Once they've done all that, they blow up the top of the mountain as much as 800 to 1,000 feet, I've seen. Yeah. But the mountain is just gone. That's why they call it removal. Yeah. And it's flattened out, and it looks like a barren moonscape instead of a forest and a, and a mountain. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the term that's used by just about anybody who has anything to do with either um, uh, uh, supporting or opposing coal mining, mountaintop coal mining. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, moonscape is the word that everyone always uses. Right. That's what I was trying to get out. Uh, from that point, um, they have these big shovels that come and dig into the soil, uh, Haul that stuff away into the uh, valleys nearby. Yeah, because it's not like this stuff disintegrates. This this um, this thing that's called overburden by the mining yeah. industry, which is you know rock, soil, dirt, trees, land. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, like it doesn't just evaporate. You have to get rid of it. Yeah, got to put it somewhere. And then a, uh, something called a drag line, which is one of the more impressive machines I've ever seen. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. How big are these things? They they said somewhere uh, twenty can, stories. Yeah, um, and uh, they weigh up to eight million pounds. Yeah, and apparently they're they're um, yeah. So uh, you saw that picture? Yeah, it looks like an oil rig on like tracks. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So the drag line comes in to expose the coil, uh, digs into the rock. Um, these machines scoop out the coal. Uh, the the machines that scoop out the coal. Yeah. Their buckets can hold up to twenty compact sized cars. Wow, that's large. These are massive operations. And the result of this is uh, the narrow valleys have been filled. It's called valley fill. And uh, one, one, we got a bunch of stats. Here's one. Uh, coal companies have buried more than 1,200 miles of headwaters and streams. 
rivers and streams buried underneath the stuff, gone forever. Yeah, with the overburden. Remember the stuff that they blew the top of the mountain off of? Yes. And they have to get rid of it. There's two ways to do it. One, you truck it off of the mountain and dump trucks, which is done, but it's also extremely expensive and time-consuming. Right. Or you move bulldozers up there and you push the overburden into the valley below. Right. In the in Typically in a valley, there's going to be some sort of stream, water supply, people ecosystem. Live, people living there. Yeah. And... um. If you have a permit, if you apply for a valley fill permit, um, you you can you're usually granted one, and you just push that stuff into the valley, and then start getting to the coal. Right, and so that's um, there, there's a lot of problems with this, and we're going to try and hit on all of them, the myriad issues. It's not. Do you think things. we could just stop right here? <laughs> we probably could. Uh, another one of the issues is something uh, when they wash the coal. Yeah, it's called uh, the result of of the the wash is what they end up with is called coal slurry. Right, and you wash coal because um, coal comes with a lot of other uh, organic and inorganic toxins, yeah. metals, compounds um, like nickel, cadmium, mercury that keep it from burning as well. Right. Yeah, and they're, there's they're non-combustible, and there's chemicals added to the wash as well. Right. Which end up in the coal slurry ponds. Right. So you're 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 washing it for market, but this water's got to go somewhere, and it's extremely toxic. Um, mercury alone would make it extremely toxic. All right. these other heavy metals just make it even worse. So you uh, either inject them into old mines, old abandoned mines is one one thing that yeah. they do with coal, coal slurry, uh-huh. or you wash them into holding ponds, which are basically earthen dams built into the side of the mountain. Yeah. Which can be precarious, as we'll find out. Yeah, and if you've seen coal slurry, I mean, just type it into Google Images. It looks like uh, like soupy um, black sludge Yeah, is about the best comparison I can make. Sure. So these ponds, um, one of these actually uh, busted the dam broke in, in 1972 uh, in West Virginia at Buffalo Creek, and 132 million gallons of this stuff rushed through the valley. Killed 125 people, injured 1,100, and 4,000 people were left homeless. And these, by and large, are very poor people, which is one of the keys here that we're going to keep hitting on. Yeah. I think Wise County, West Virginia, the the average income is like 18,000 for a family, something like that. Yeah, graduation rate is about 60%, and the poverty level is exactly what it was during the, uh, was it Eisenhower? I think so. Eisenhower administration, when he went there and said, we have to end poverty in West Virginia, it's the same. 30%. Oh, LBJ. Yeah, Johnson, sorry. Yeah. Um, so w- w- once this whole operation's done, uh, there may be more than one seam, and there's different ways to get into it. Um, like you can uh, dig in from the side, high wall mining, mm-hmm. or you can blow the top off the mountain, or you can do both. Right. But once the mountain's exhausted... And these are massive sites. There's one in uh, Virginia, I believe, that's like 35,000 acres. Yeah. which That's one site. Th- yeah, that's just one mining yeah. operation. Or you could also call it one former mountain. Um, when, when time was, when you left, that was that. You, you got your coal and you got out of there and the mining operation was abandoned. Right. Um, nowadays, you are supposed to, most, most mountaintop removal permits... Uh, come with uh, an addendum that you have to do some sort of reclamation. And the reclamation process typically is supposed to involve basically piling rock and stuff back up, um, regrowing this area, and um, trying to basically simulate a mountain again. 
Yeah, and then 1977 was when that was first introduced, the Surface Mining Control and Reclamation Act. Established standards, uh, they said back then that the goal was just to get grass to grow, anything to grow. Right. And reclamation is a good thing in theory, but one of the the knocks that um, activists like to point out is that what happens on paper isn't always what happens in reality. Mm -hmm. And there's been studies that show that the soil is still not the same decades later. Uh, it's just not the same. You can't make it what it was. Right. Um, there is one sterling uh, example of what can be done. It's called the Powell River Project. Yes. So the Powell River Project is um, in Virginia, I believe. And it's 1,100 acres. It's a former um, mining site. Um it, that was it's just a leveled mountaintop and some care was given to it and now it is basically a wildlife preserve um it has strawberries and blueberries growing on it and sugar maples and cattle is grazing on the turf um the wildlife that's come back are screech and barred owls coyote bear turkey um they're basically this this mountain is getting back to nature right yeah, primarily financed by the coal industry. Yes, must say. So, Got to say that. Um, and I think the deal is if everything went down like it's going down at Powell River, there would be fewer issues. But it, that's not the case, unfortunately. Right. That's just a sterling example of what could be done. Well, this is what happens when you spend like decades and lots of money on this one particular site. For the most case, I think you told me that they just like throw some grass seed down over the old site. And that's that, right? And um, we, I guess we'll, we should probably start now talking about the environmental impact. There's basically two ways um, you can you can classify the impacts that this has. Three ways: one, economic, which looks like it should be good, right? But if you look at the um, rates of unemployment and the the continuous poverty in Appalachia, yeah, um, you'll actually see that it's not so great. The economic impact. Um, the uh, environmental impact, and then the human impact. So let's talk about environment. We were talking about coal slurry, right? Yes. You have to put that coal slurry somewhere. The earthen dam, like you said, um, at Buffalo Creek in 1972 collapsed, spilled 132 million gallons, and killed 125 people, right? That's right. In 2000 in Kentucky, uh, there was another dam uh, break. Uh, 250 million gallons of sludge uh, flowed into uh, the... Uh, tug fork of the Big Sandy River, yeah, and affected streams and rivers up to a hundred miles away. More than a million fish and other wildlife died. One of the biggest environmental disasters in this country's history, mm-hmm. and a lot of people probably never heard of it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, apparently the um, the areas of exposure uh, was twenty times that of the um, Exxon Valdez disaster. Yeah, and I believe it was either this one or the other one. Um, one of the coal company heads called it. Because heavy rains is what eventually caused the dam to break on top of the slurry, called it an act of God. Yeah. And I believe that's how it was left. So sort of washing our hands of it, it was because the heavy rains, and, you know, that's what happened. So uh, you also mentioned Valley Fill, um, where streams have been affected just by being buried, which means no more stream. I got a stat for you there. Okay. 6,700 Valley Fill permits in the United States have been... Since 1985? Yeah. 6,700 times this has happened. Actually, I think it's more than that. I think it's um, 
like in the 7200s because that oh, really? stat was between 85 and 2001. Oh, okay. And we found another one, Chuck, that's, um, there's been about 500 or so from 2001 to 2008. Yeah, things have really ramped up here in the last decade. Yeah. As so, far as MTR goes. So, um, the, back to the streams as well, uh, apparently there was this, um, this, uh, study in science where, um, 12 environmental science, Scientists got in, in Science Magazine. You say. Yes, I should. You know, in science. In, in <laughs> January, last this past Jan, no January of 2010, twelve environmental scientists got together and did a survey of the literature of uh, on the environmental impact of mountaintop um, removal mining. Yeah, and um, the valleys. You said I think something like 1,200 miles of, of valley or valley streams and headwaters yeah. have been affected. Um, well, the, these these guys sampled. Water in 73 of 78 streams, um, or they, they did a study on this and found that, um, 73 of the 78 streams they sampled, uh, had deformed fish carrying toxic levels of selenium, which is a heavy metal, right. which is not good. Um, and if your fish is deformed, that's not good in general. Yeah, the Simpsons, uh, classic Blinky. episode of Blinky. Sure. How many eyes? Was it three eyes? Three eyes. Yeah. Almost said four. We would have heard it about that. Hey, everybody. We're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep. Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah. And Viator offers 24-7 customer service so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Um, drinking water is another problem because of coal slurry. These earthen dams are a temporary solution uh, to begin with, um, but they can leak, and that coal slurry can enter drinking water. Yeah, and you know, uh, just to recap real quick, though, on... Um the reclamation that I did find that study uh, from earlier. The study said that 15 years after a mountaintop was leveled at this one site, trees had still not regrown because they just can't make the soil like it used to be. And uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and that's for the land. When it comes to the streams, the Army Corps of Engineers said under oath in their testimony um, that there is not a successful stream creation project. In conjunction with this. Yeah, or they don't know of one. Yeah, like basically, all right, we can try and reform the mountains to a a rough assemblance of what it once was, but you can't just make new streams, and we haven't found out a way to do that. It's kind of like um, taking a sword and severing someone's head and then just kind of balancing it back on the neck again. (laughs) Yeah, sadly. Like, yeah, it's there, but it's not really working any longer. 
right? Yeah. So that's some of the environmental work you're also talking about. The, uh, the it's hum- in the drinking water. It, it is, um, which kind of is it straddles um, the um, environmental and the human impacts. Um, there are people in this literature that we've been um, researching for this podcast whose families have lived in these areas for like 230 years or so, right? Like yes. these are straight up Appalachian folk. Oh yeah, right. Hillbillies. They call themselves hillbillies. And um, the hillbillies have been there for a while. And before, I guess it was probably a very quiet place. But as we've mentioned, with mountaintop removal mining, explosives are a major part of it. <laughs> Big so thing. when you blow the top off of a mountain, first of all, it takes a lot of explosives. But it's very loud. Um, apparently. In 2003, 67% of all explosives produced in the U.S. were consumed by the coal industry. Yeah. And in West Virginia alone, that figure led to an estimated 3 million pounds of explosives being used a day. Yeah. A day to mm-hmm. blow up mountains. People live on these mountains still, right? Yeah. The same mountains that they're blowing up. Yeah, in the valleys. So you've got the noise. You have a very dangerous condition called fly rock. Yeah. Which is exactly what it sounds like when you blow a mountaintop up. Rock flies everywhere, and if somebody's living there, it um, can go into their house and kill them. Yeah, and that was the case in uh, 2004 at 2.30 in the morning, uh, bulldozer operating without a permit. At two, Again, 2.30 in the morning, yeah. this bulldozer was working a mine site. Without a permit, it dislodged a 1,000-pound boulder, rolled 200 feet down, and crushed uh, three-year-old Jeremy Davidson in his bed. Who was sleeping at the time, yeah. And the company was fined $15,000 for that. For gross negligence. Yeah, so I don't even have a comment on that. Yeah. We'll just leave that to the listeners. Um, I, 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 the, um, I have some more deaths here, if you want to be dark for another moment. Sure. Uh, in West Virginia, 14 people drowned in the last three years because of uh, floods and mudslides. In Kentucky, 50 people have been killed and 500 injured over the last five years uh, by coal trucks uh, that were illegally overloaded. And uh, on the flooding thing, I think they said that in this one spot in West Virginia that there were three, what they call a a thousand-year flood or a hundred-year flood yeah. in 10 days. Yeah. 300-year <laughs> floods in 10 days in this one region. Yes. That's not supposed to happen. No. Um, and, you know, you're talking about deaths. That's just directly from drownings, um, injury, that kind of thing. If you take all of the public health hazards into account, um, as a public health reports jur- um, journal study did, uh, this year, uh-huh. or I think last year, I'm sorry, um, anywhere between 1,736 and 2,889 people die in Appalachia each year as a result of the coal mining industry there, right? So there is a lot of death, but there's also a lot of potential death, too. Sickness, yeah. We talked about Buffalo Creek where the um, slurry uh, dam, the slurry pond dam broke and killed 125 people. That was um, 130 million gallons of coal slurry, right? Yeah. Killed 125 people. There is a place um, called Marsh Fork, Ele- Marsh Fork Elementary School. Yeah, I saw a documentary on the school. So Marsh Fork has, um, I believe, uh, 200-something students going yeah. there every day. And just above the elementary school, there is a coal slurry pond above it Yeah. on the mountainside. That holds 3 billion gallons of coal sludge. Yeah, and there's a whole operation. There's a silo 300 feet from the school. Right. So rather than the 132 million gallons, we're talking about 3 billion gallons 
poised behind an earthen dam right above an elementary school. So there's a lot of potential for disaster as well, right? Yeah, that's uh, Massey Energy. That's one of the bigger coal companies in the United States. You might remember Massey's name by um, the the upper big branch mine explosion that happened uh, about a year ago from two days ago. Oh, yeah. It was April 5th, 2010. Right. Um, that that explosion killed 29 miners, uh, and leaving three others trapped. Um, so Massey is, like you said, big in uh, traditional mining, uh, surface mining, and regulation, actually. One of their former executives was named a, um, deputy energy secretary for fossil fuels, uh, a couple of years back. That's right. President Bush, uh, named, appointed, uh, what was his name? Uh, his name was Stanley Subaleski. He was uh, appointed in um, 2007, right. December 2007. To the Department of Energy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, back to Marsh uh, Fork Elementary School. Uh, that, that Actually, one of the documentaries I saw yesterday was on that school specifically. Yeah. And uh, West Virginia activist Bo Webb, he's one of the leading activists on this cause, found that 80% of the parents are saying that their children are coming home from school with a variety of illnesses like... Uh, nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, uh, shortness of breath, wheezing, asthma, um, long-term effects, kidney damage. There's been a lot of kidney damage in that area. Uh, liver damage, spleen failure, bone damage, and cancer of the digest- uh, digestive tract. And um, Bo has, uh, actually it wasn't Bo, but one of the other activists there, they were trying to raise money in this documentary to build a new school, not near you know, not 300 feet away from a coal mining operation. And they were trying to raise it uh, by donating pennies. And they, in the documentary, they marched uh, and had a rally at the governor's uh, office in West Virginia. And it was hardcore, man. It was hard to watch. Like, literally, the governor gave him a minute, and he's glad-handing and talking to people. And, you know, they, they bring out this little girl from the school, and he's like, well, what are you interested in? And you sure are cute. And what do you want to be when you grow up? And basically, the kid's just like, I don't want to live under a coal mine, and I don't want to be sick anymore. And they called this guy out, uh, the governor out, big time. And it was really one of those uncomfortable scenes to watch when politics gets, when it's clear that this guy has no answer. And the big coal has their lobbyists that are, you know, on the, on the side of, you know, big coal mining. And it was, it was just very uncomfortable and disturbing to watch. Yep. But you should watch it nonetheless. <laughs> and that was uh, that was Marsh Creek Elementary's in West Virginia, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's in Rock Creek. I see. Um, Chuck, one of the reasons why the governor would have been embarrassed or um, felt awkward is because there is a ton of money at stake here. That one um, public health reports journal study. Yeah. That that said, you know, between um, seventeen hundred and twenty nine hundred people die each year from coal mining. Um, it was an economics paper, really, and it said that um, the coal industry generates about $8 billion in economic contribution to Appalachia every year, right? Yeah. Which is a lot. That's like, okay, you can't ignore great, that. Sure. You know? No, you can't. That's a lot of money spent on that area. The problem is, is this same paper, using the same model, figured out that um, it costs about $42 billion in healthcare costs and the cost of life. So that's a big picture. Yeah. Yeah. So you're actually losing. And you can just look at, you know, the poverty in Appalachia and see, oh, well, these people who are literally next to these mines are not benefiting from this at all. Right. And the uh, there's another stat. Activists will point out that only about 4 or 5% of our 
of our nation's coal energy comes from mountaintop removal mining. So it's not like, oh, you know, like 80% of the coal that we use comes from this practice, so right. we really, really need it. Uh, they will tell you that conservation alone, we could save an average of 20% of our energy demands, which far outweighs, you know, by what, four or five times the 5% that we're using. Right. I've seen up to 10% um, comes from strip mining or from mountaintop removal mining. Oh, really? But that's being used pretty greedily because we, um, the United States gets about 50% of its electricity. I think in 2009, it got 45% of its electricity from coal. So usually it's around 50%. Yeah, and we're exporting coal too. Coal is an important part of our energy plan. Yeah. Can't ignore that. Yeah. So where does that leave us, Chuck? Well, there's a couple of things, uh, Josh. One reason that I wanted to do this show and that you got on board and were way behind it too is because... Oh, no, I'm I'm just doing this for you. <laughs> is because this is a problem that affects poor rural people for the most part. People in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee now. And they don't have the same voice that uh, other folks do. Um, one of the leading, uh, I think it was Bo Webb again, said if this, this wouldn't happen in New England. Um, that biggest environmental disaster west of the, or east of the Mississippi River happened, and the New York Times didn't report about it for like four months. Yeah. So it's, and I, I guess a lot of the listeners out there probably looked at the title, What is Mountaintop Removal Coal Mining? and said, Yeah, what is that? I've never heard of it. But we've all heard of the Valdez. We heard about the, you know, all these disasters obviously need attention. I'm not saying, that we shouldn't pay attention to things like oil spills, but it gets a lot more attention when it's on the uh, Gulf of Florida with Destin and Seaside right there than it does in the rural mountains of West Virginia. Yeah. So somebody needs to be talking about this, and a lot of people are. And another problem is the coal lobby and the fact that companies can donate uh, money to uh, political campaigns and get in the hip pockets of politicians and... Favors are paid back, and it's the same old story with you know big industry like this. It's just sad to see it happening. Well, it is. It's a big. It's a. It, there's a big um, debate going on right now about just how much the EPA should have teeth in regards to mountaintop removal mining, right? Yeah, and the EPA's new chief is uh, pretty progressive and pretty hardcore, and not a friend of big business, and she is making some waves. Um, coal miners are uh, against these actions. You're talking about Lisa Jackson? Yeah. Okay. And uh, she's a bulldog. <laughs> I read the Rolling Stone interview on, on her, and she's she said her job is just to, to to look out for the environment. That that's the only thing she wants to do. And you know, if you're in her way, she's gonna try and knock you down. Well, we'll see. But that's still not enough um, for a lot of people. I think the the general consensus among activists. And probably people who live in school buses on the side of a mountain nearby a mountaintop removal um, operation uh, is that it should be banned outright. Yeah, that that process, yeah. not mining those particular sites, but that that um, type of mining, that method of mining, should just be completely outlawed. Yeah, I mean, most of these permits were issued during the Clinton and Bush administrations, uh, second Bush, obviously, and there were certain uh, key provisions to the Clean Water Act that were rewritten. Uh, to reclassify waste associated with strip mining as benign fill material. Yeah. A federal judge rejected that, um, but then that change was upheld in 2003 by uh, uh, 
Fourth Circuit Court judge. And then Obama comes in and people said, all right, dude, you're, you're the environmental guy. Get rid of this altogether in the first 100 days. Didn't happen. But Obama has introduced, um, stricter guidelines now and the EPA has on to curtail mountaintop mining, uh, hailed by certain environmentalists. But if you talk to Bo Webb, he'll say, that ain't enough, brother. He's like, you got to outlaw mountaintop removal mining, period. And anything less than that is just playing into the hands of big coal. It's it's surprising that it has been allowed to go on. I mean, the idea of blowing the top of a mountain and then pushing it into the valley below, covering up the stream, and then introducing coal slurry to this local environment um, in an age where we, you know, we're, there's such a thing as Earth Day, and people are like, I will never use a, a paper or a plastic bag. I use my own that I bought and brought from home. That this is going on is um, it's it's startling. Yeah. Well, um, last, you know, I said that there were some efforts by the Obama administration to curtail this. Um, last Thursday, this is just over the wire today, um, two senators from Kentucky, uh, Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul, introduced a bill trying to restrict the EPA from clamping down on it, uh, giving the EPA a 60-day deadline to veto Clean Water Act permits issued by the Corps of Engineers. And um, activists are saying, yeah, this is tricky, so they put in that 60-day thing. Everyone knows nothing in the government can happen in 60 days, so it's sort of a uh, a facade. Uh, red herring. A red herring. Uh, the bill would also prevent the EPA from retroactively vetoing permits. So um, that was uh, Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul. And Rand Paul from Kentucky, if you're from Kentucky, you know all about uh, your senators, in 2010 <laughs> said, like, you don't need me to tell you about this guy. Uh, in 2010, he said in an interview, quote, I think they should name it something better. Uh, the top ends up flatter, but we're not talking about Mount Everest. We're talking about these knobby little hills that are everywhere out here. I don't think anyone's going to be missing a hill or two here and there. And that was uh, Rand Paul, yeah. straight from the horse's mouth. And Chuck, I think that you know as well as I, people are going to be like, you guys are getting political. Stop being political. And I, I just... I'm I'm trying to figure out how to frame a response to that because this is this is um, super pol- political. It's above politics. It's basically incredibly well financed um, industrial interests and average people who have no money. That kind of um, dying, dying, and yeah. getting sick. That's not political. That's not the right or the left. That's right or wrong, basically. Yeah. Well said, sir. Thanks. We're talking about um, an EPA study estimated 400,000 acres have been wiped out. And like we said, um, between 700 and 1,000 miles of stream. And that was in, that, those were the 2001 numbers, so it's a lot higher by then. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk to Ben Soley? I do. I'm looking to see if I have anything else. Oh, you know what? We should plug a couple of things. Um, Jonathan Franzen's new novel, Freedom. It's a big subplot, mountaintop removal mining. Yeah, I heard uh, the TV show Justified. Have you ever seen it? No. It's awesome. Timothy Oliphant. Season two has a big subplot on mountaintop removal mining. And uh, all these things, you know, raise awareness on certain levels. The Wild Wonderful Whites of West Virginia. <laughs> What's that? It's a documentary. You know, The Dancing Outlaw? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Jeff it's Joe. a follow-up to Just that. Him. It's his family. And they are crazy. It's actually produced <laughs> by Johnny Knoxville's production company. Oh, really? really, it's worth seeing. So um, Ben will be in here in a second to give us some more organizations. But if you want to uh, just look into this a little more, there are three places I can uh, recommend you go. One is ilovemountains.org. 
org. Great That's place to start. Uh, there's a group called the Mountain Justice Summer. They're, they are well organized. I think they're the oldest one. Yeah, that's mountainjusticesummer.org. And then, um, Appalachian Voices, appvoices.org. Go to any of those websites, look up some pictures, do your own research, see if it matters to you. Or summer's coming up, and if you want to go join a protest, they have them all over Appalachia. Yeah. If you've ever wanted to see a person with dreadlocks in working in conjunction with the hillbilly, (laughs) this is the place to go. (laughs) That's a good point. So, Chuck, um, let's uh, let's pause a second here while we bring Ben Soli in. Okay. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission parking and all-day drinks for one low price but you better hurry because this bundle won't last long save now at cedarpoint.com when you think about the future what kind of technology do you envision whatever the future holds artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all join graham class as he hosts season two of technically speaking an intel podcast from ruby studio in partnership with intel Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So... We are back. It seemed like a brief second to you, but it was about 10 minutes to us. At least. Something like that. And in the studio for our first ever musical guest, we have Mr. Ben Soli. Welcome, Ben. Hello, fellas. Ben is a singer, a songwriter, and a cellist. Check. He is a Kentucky native. Right. And he is a uh, a mountaintop removal coal mining activist. And in 2010, Ben, you put out an album on the Sub Pop label produced by Mr. Jim James of My Morning Jacket. It's true. With Daniel Martin Moore called Dear Companion, and it was a, do you call it a concept album or just a theme album? Mm, that's a good question. Um, huh. Some folks refer to it as a protest album. Okay. Some folks refer to it as a um, album of, of um, an issues-based album, and we just kind of looked at it as a, a tribute album to a really beautiful part of the country. Okay. And uh, bringing that part of the country and that sound and kind of our heritage as Kentucky musicians into like the urban context and mixing all that stuff up. Well, since that was one of my questions anyway, just tell us a little bit more about that project. I know did uh, 100% of the proceeds went to ilovemountains.org? Yeah, well, I mean, all of the proceeds that we would have gotten as artists. Right, sure. Yeah, and in the record world, you know, there's you get a portion of it from record sales. There's no such thing as a so free uh, album. 1% <laughs> went to ilovemountains.org. <laughs> no, actually, it was like, I mean, to be specific, it was 13 point something percent. The, the portion that we would have gotten as artists. Right. So we just donated that That's great. to uh, App Voices, um, and mostly because they run an amazing website and called ilovemountains.org. And the goal of the record was not to like protest anything or 
you know, necessarily pick a side. It was more to like raise awareness, be right. a catalyst for conversation. That's what this. we just did. Exactly. So, um, in that way, we wanted to support the thing that was, we felt like was one of the best things for a national conversation, which was the website where people can go and find out how they're involved and what to do. How did you get into, um, where did your desire to raise awareness about MTR come from? Um, it's a good question. I think I think it all started with um, a, an author that read a story. This guy's name is Silas House. Mm-hmm. He's a well-known author there in the Kentucky central part of America uh, region. He's an amazing writer, and he came and read on a on a show that I was doing this you know beautiful entry about a a lady who had posted herself up on this mountainside, and she was not going to allow the machines to kind of rip up the land which had been in her family for years and years. And that, you know, it was a, uh, you know, it had a lot of emotion and energy in the writing that kind of spawned the, the thought of it. And then the more and more I researched, I was like, wow, how can this actually be going on in America? How can people actually uh, have to live without basically the, a lot of their civil rights to yeah. have like clean water, to right. be protected by their police, you know, all these things. And so I, I wanted to help raise awareness for it, but. I'm a musician. What do you do? Like, how much can a song really change anything? Is uh, always one of these big dilemmas, especially a song of protest. Have you heard Europe's Final Countdown? Mm-mm. That changed everything <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, you know the song. Mm. I don't. Don't, don't actually. Oh, we're gonna play it it's, for you. I'm gonna buy you that MP3. As a matter of fact. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about Dear Companion and uh, your work with Daniel Martin Moore and Jim James and Sub Pop and. How that was packaged, I know that was very unique. It is unique, and Sub Pop is a really amazing record label for even taking the time to like look at putting this thing out. Right, and I think a big big part of that is because they started as a label that was based in a community. Like they started, you know, putting out the punk rock music of Seattle, uh-huh. and they grew big and they put out music and everything now. But uh, this is their way of reaching into a different community and being part of a conversation. And um, in a lot of ways, folk music kind of has that punk, like against the, you know, against the common thing, the establishment, uh, against the establishment, <laughs> the man, the man, yeah. the man, whatever, uh, the industry. And so, I think this really resonated with them. So they took the time and energy, to put it out. Working with Daniel Martin Moore was, uh, uh, he's a tall, handsome crooner sort of fella. He is. He is, and he uh, also lives in Kentucky. And before we even met, he was very active in raising awareness about mountaintop removal with a song called Fly Rock Blues. And Fly Rock kind of describes the materials that fly off into the air when they yeah, explode we the mountains. Yeah, about that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing stuff. I mean, sometimes boulders as big as houses go flying hundreds of yards. I mean, it's an amazing, powerful, explosive force and land in places way outside the, the digging zone. Right. So... Um, that song inspired me to work with him on this uh, project. And then Jim James came on board. Also Kentucky native. Also Kentucky native. Um, and he had done a lot of work with Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, an organization there in Kentucky. And uh, he just was a great voice for being able to take these influences of Appalachia, take our own songwriting, and also bring them in with kind of the relevant indie rock and right. this kind of sound that is associated with him and My Morning Jacket. And uh, quickly on the packaging too, um, there was was there a map that was included or there's a there's a beautiful picture of um, Appalachia okay. and, 
and the, what's unique about the picture and the reason that we chose it is not it's not some you know long shot landscape of the rolling mountains old appalachian fog it's it's not this idealized thing it's simply a valley it's this beautiful pristine valley and that's really what the whole contention behind this is it's not really the absence of the mountaintops that causes so much destruction. It's the filling in the right. destruction of the valleys. These are the places that collect our water, the headwaters that come down not only to these Appalachian communities, but also some of our major cities on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And those waters are being polluted. And the idea that we all live downstream from those um, is a really provocative and, and an idea that we're all in this together. This is one big community from the gr- groundwater being polluted to the electricity that runs these light bulbs. Like right. We're all kind of participating in this thing. And it's very easy when we're participating in it, turning on a light switch or charging our phone, to miss the idea, not that a mountain is blowing up. That's too abstract. That's too out there. The idea that people have to live with, um, that people make this power. Right. That people have to deal with the coal trucks you know, tearing up the roads. People have to deal with the dust in the air and the shaking ground. People have to deal with the loss of land values. Like, there are people that are living um, very hard lives to make sure that we have these things. And I think, from a positive standpoint, we need to appreciate that more. Right. Not just protest them, not point our fingers and look at them and say, look at those poor people, but say thank you in a lot of ways. And that's what we tried to do with Your Companion was to say thank you, celebrate Appalachia as a landscape mm-hmm. as part of our American heritage you know everything from the the fiddler chop you know the man beside his cabin chopping wood or the fiddler playing while the guy's dancing like these American things that have been turned into musicals and shows they all stem from these those pioneers that settled in these mountains and I and I just think it's such a huge part of our heritage as Americans and it's just disappearing as these communities they just they struggle to survive underneath the the climate of things being exploded and land being devalued and water being um, polluted. It's hard for them to survive. And it's hard for communities to to even keep their footing when all that's happening. So we're losing part of our American heritage. And that's how it ties in with me as a musician. That's how I found it tied in with me as a musician. Awesome. And I want to point out, Ben is a guy who walks the walk. He did a an entire tour was it last year on your bicycle? Well, yeah, we've done three tours by bicycle now. <laughs> I but, don't know how many people out there have ever tried to carry a cello <laughs> on a bicycle, but this guy does it from town to town. Believe it or not, there's four or five cellists out there in the world that are really? that are carrying their cellos on bicycles. It's something about, you know, pe- people say cellists are extreme people. I don't think that. <laughs> <laughs> but I-, I just really got into this idea of not being sustainable or being green slowing down. Right. The idea that I wanted to be more involved in these communities. I felt this this un- unsettling feeling that I was coming through these places, putting on a show, asking people to buy the music, and then moving on to the next. Right. Driving eight to ten hours the next day sometimes to get to some distant community where a promoter was willing to put on put up money to put on a show. It felt like a little bit of a fleecing thing and, uh-huh. and somewhat dishonest in a lot of ways. It wasn't real, and people romanticized it, but it wasn't really real. So right. The idea of getting on a bicycle, slowing down, not being able to roll up our windows or just stay on the interstate and zoom past the place. We had to really ride through each community and be a part of their town for at least a little bit. Yeah, you notice, I've been riding my bike lately just for exercise, and it's amazing how much more you notice Mm -hmm. just by walking or riding a bike. 
than when you're zipping past it in a car. The smells, the mm-hmm. condition of the road is a big one. Um, the habits and nature of other drivers out there, you notice how amazing it is that we have thousands and thousands of pounds of machinery that we can just hurdle down the highway. I mean, for, for better or worse, you just kind of notice what a, what an extreme action that is. It feel, we're so used to it. Yeah. But the idea that we can hop on a highway and just push this machine, very heavy, big machine, float it down the highway, it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Arthur C. Clarke or something. It's just kind right. of out there. You don't take things for granted, my friend. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we get uh, involved with the music, yeah, do you we, mind sticking around and playing us a song? I'd love to. Okay, good. We yeah. uh, we plug ilovemountains.org. Is that a good place for people to start? It's a great place for people to start, especially because you can. Uh, they have a tool on there where you can plug in your zip code uh-huh. and see what portion of your power is coming from coal. Oh, fantastic. Cool. And not only that, you can see where the, that coal is coming from. Yeah, it's cool. a great website, ilovemountains.org. It's a cool, not coal. That's cool. a coal. <laughs> so the song we're going to hear is called Electrified, and it is from Mr. Solis forthcoming album which should be dropping right now may mm-hmm. 10th yeah and it's called inclusions so let's hear it the trees are electrified the streets are electrified your ears are electrified my voice is electrified your heart is unsteady, they can make it beat in time. Your mind is confused, it will be clarified. You're old fashioned, you will be modernized. Everything is electrified. Everything is electrified. If you're lost in the jungle, Use the satellites. You broke in the city. Sneak on the bus line. You lost your job because it was mechanized. They said we have to compete when the market's globalized. Everything is electrified. Everything is electrified. Everything is electrified. My bare hands touch the base of your spine. Feel you shudder and close your eyes. Move like a swallow and I'm hypnotized. Everything is electrified. Everything is electrified. Everything is electrified. Everything are heroes, others may be vilified, assess your losses, learn to diversify, find your higher calling and evangelize, build your congregation, now you're televised, everything's electrified, everything's electrified, yes, everything's electrified, everything's electrified. 
That was awesome. That was very cool. So cool. And those, you know, you heard clapping. We had people all over the office here that wanted to come in and hear, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was something else. Uh, so you can see Ben Soli on tour. He's on tour right now. And he is all over the place. I'm looking Boston, New York, Philly, Chicago, St. Louis. I mean, back through Kentucky, down through the south. Go see Ben Soli on tour through the end of uh, June. You can find that at his website. Yeah, you can also learn all about mining and energy by typing either one of those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, which does not trigger listener mail this time. Instead, you shoot us an email if you want to drop us a line. Yeah, and hey, if you go see Ben Soli on tour, go up to him and uh, talk to him. He's a very nice guy. and yeah. Tell him that you're buddies with us. He's a very good guy. Uh, anyway, if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Childproofing people's homes is hard. But Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. 